Coming from the Caveman Studios in Buffalo, New York. Welcome to Caveman Corner with your host, Jeff. Captain Caveman! Thanks. Click subscribe and the bell. Do it now! We're here with one of my personal heroes. NCAA champion, Olympic champion, world champion, undefeated UFC fighter, Mr. Mark Schultz. How are you doing today, Mark? I'm doing good, Caveman. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Thanks for having me, Ray. Thanks for inviting me, Ray. Oh, no problem. Man, I'm honored I, to have you here, man. Uh, well, Ray said we were going to get you, dude. I was like, there's no way we're getting Mark Schultz. Dude, you must be talking <laughs> about someone else. Uh, I can't believe, like, you're such a high-level wrestler, like an Olympic athlete. You were one of my heroes growing up, uh, you and your brother. Uh, I can just imagine what your house was like growing up. We're, we're going to get into that in a minute. But uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast. And, uh, man, what, what's been going on since uh, since you fought last? That's the last time, like, probably our fans know about you since you beat up poor Big Daddy Goodridge. <laughs> oh, man. My life has taken so many twists and turns since then. It's it's unbelievable. You know, I got divorced and I, I worked for a masonry contracting company for a while. I moved to Fresno and managed apartments. I moved to Oregon and, uh, and I, I, uh, you know, I did the, oh, uh, one thing I want to plug this is there's a documentary that was just made about me. It was produced by Dana White. And it's called Wrestling Demons, Mark Schultz's Ultimate Victory. It used to be uh, like $10. Buy the membership on uh, ufcfightpass.com, and then you could watch it. And But now they're showing it on YouTube for free. And they called me one day, and they said, Mark, this, this documentary has been nominated for an Emmy in 2023 i just couldn't believe it and so i went back to the emmys in new york and we didn't win we lost to jeremy lynn's 38 at the garden was the name of his documentary and it's really weird coincidence because jeremy lynn and i went to the same high school and there was another coincidence that's just freaking me out another documentary was made uh, called Bloodsport, and it was the Carlton Hasselrig story. Carlton Hasselrig was a is a really good friend of mine, and we uh, we were training partners in uh, 1985, six, seven. He won the NCAA's the next three years in a row, so I take full credit for all that. But uh, <laughs> then he went to uh, NFL. He never. He never played in the NFL, but he walked on to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And you know how wrestlers are. They're, you know, incredible linemen. Nobody can get by him. And so he was became a pro bowler. And then uh, he had to quit. He had these terrible migraines and stuff, uh, getting CTE. And so he quit. And he did, uh, I think, five or six MMA fights. And then he got uh, the... When you get CTE, you know, nobody was really, first of all, the NFL denied it for a long time. And then and he, the doctors, he didn't even know what was wrong with him, and nobody was helping him because the NFL was denying it. So 
he went to all these doctors and no they, they, you can't tell if someone has CTE and, until they die. And then you have to take these very uh, thin slices of the brain and look at it under a microscope. And he had CTE really bad. And uh, he had these really horrible, and he was, he, since the doctors couldn't help him, he started self-medicating. And I think he got arrested maybe once or twice or something. And you know, here's this friend of mine, and it looks like he's going crazy or he's turning into some criminal, but that's not what happened at all. He was trying to, to cure himself, and and that he wasn't getting any help. And he, he died, they say he died of liver disease, but he, he also... Uh, he also had CTE really bad, and maybe he drank himself to death. I don't know what, but he died at the age of 55 back in, I think, 2015 or something. Anyway, his documentary just happened to be the same category in the same year as mine, which is really weird. Anyway, it was a very bunch of coincidences. It was like a paranormal experience going back to the Emmy scene. <laughs> but yeah, that's. That's what I, uh, that's one thing I did. And, uh, you know, I've been uh, doing uh, wrestling camps, wrestling clinics, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu seminars. I have my own style. I call it martial grappling because it sounds like my name, Mark Schultz. So I combined the takedowns and the conditioning of wrestling with the submission holds of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And, you know, that's, I go around the country, I go around the world doing seminars like that. So, uh, are you black belt under Pedro Sauer? Yes. Yeah, so you have, like, he has official lineage. There's not too many world-class wrestlers that uh, deal with putting on in pajamas to get a black belt, man. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> man, you're like, you're, you're one of those guys. I can't imagine in a gi, dude. <laughs> Yeah, I'm much better without a gi, believe me. Like a thousand times better without a gi. <laughs> but so, I really love jujitsu. You know, I, I when I was a kid, you know, I had a really bad uh, lack of self confidence. And, you know, I I I didn't I, I didn't really know what to do about it. And nobody back then, nineteen seventy six, I think it was, nobody really knew like What's the best martial art? And so I was a gymnast, and uh, I was the Northern California State Gymnastics Champion all-around for my age group and when I was a sophomore in high school. And, uh, but I was I was so uh, – I, I, I didn't have so confidence. So I thought one day – you know, if I could just beat up everybody in the world, I could be happy with myself and live with myself. And so I started looking for, you know, the one true martial art, whatever that was. And you, we really didn't know. We were looking at Black Belt Magazine and Bruce Lee movies. And here's Bruce Lee kicking the crap out of 20 guys at a time. And I was like, man, if he can beat 20 guys, if I know what he knows, maybe I could beat one guy in my brother Dave. <laughs> anyway, I started taking this you know, Tang Sudo, which was a Chuck Norris. They didn't have a Bruce Lee studio where I lived in Medford, Oregon. And so I took this Chuck Norris style martial art Tang Sudo. And 
this is when I was a, uh, a junior in high school. And my, uh, for my 16th birthday, my brother came up to Northern Oregon. We, 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 we lived together our whole lives until I became a rebellious teenager and started getting in fights with my dad. And I moved up to Oregon for one high school semester and I started wrestling up in Oregon. But what happened was I, I was up here in Oregon and Dave came up here for my birthday and he said something really disrespectful. I don't even remember what it was, but I thought, okay, and I'm gonna, I, I only been taking Tanksudo for four months. And so I thought, I'm gonna show this guy who's a real boss of the family is now with my four months of Tanksudo. So we go out on the front lawn and I took a swing at him. He double-legged me, got the mount, punched my face into a hamburger. And I was so humiliated. But as I slept in the car that night, because I didn't sleep, <laughs> face my family i was i was like screw tanksu though i'm going out for the wrestling team so i did i went out for the wrestling team right right away and that's one thing i've, I've told this story a bunch of times but i i can keep telling it uh if you want i i uh didn't start my wrestling career until my junior year in high school and i wasn't very successful i was four wins and six losses my junior year. And then the coach kicked me off the team because I wasn't good enough. And, <laughs> and so I go to the principal and I said, hey, this coach created a challenge match system to make the team and I've won under his system. And then he kicks me off. That's not fair. And the principal agreed with me and he forced the coach to put me back on the varsity. But it cre I, because I went to the principal, it destroyed the relationship between me and that coach, and so I couldn't wrestle for him anymore. So I transferred back to Palo Alto, California, and my gymnastics coach in high school was also the wrestling coach at the high school. And over the summer, I gained 30 pounds. So I went from a 130-pound junior to a 159. Well, it, fluctuates california starts at 154 and goes up five pounds of state to 159 but i started there the next year and we my coach scheduled three tournaments that uh, year and the first one the cabrillo tournament i broke my toe couldn't go second one was the al south tournament i lost my first match and didn't even i was eliminated immediately and then my third tournament i took third at the Montevist uh, Invitational. Then, at the end of the year, I won the league, which was nine schools. So the first time I won a high school tournament. And then that qualified me for the region. And I won that. That was 20 schools. And that qualified me for the Central Coast section, which was 90 schools. And I won that. And I got named the Outstanding Wrestler. And that qualified me for state. And so my first match, my the guy that was the defending Central Coast Section champion, Joe Guillory, he got beat his first round at state really bad. And I was like, man, these guys at state are really tough. But I had studied this Eastern Indian philosopher named Jidu Krishnamurti. Have you ever heard of him? No. Oh. No. Anyway, I read his book and he had this chapter on fear. And I and I, I thought if I could just, you know, learn how to live without fear. I would have this huge advantage. So I really studied him hard and I 
and I and I and I and I kept my head on at state. And my first match was against some guy that was fifth in the section, and I beat him by one point. And then I went up against the number one ranked guy, and I was losing with ten seconds left by one point, and I got an escape to go into overtime. And then I caught him in a banana split in overtime and beat him. And then that put me in the semifinals. And that guy was undefeated too. And he took me down, rode me the whole first period. Second period, I caught him with this move called, I call it the Bob McNeil side. There was a guy named Bob McNeil at Stanford that was, all he did was rolling, rolling, rolling. He was like a pill bug. He was rolling, rolling. And so he taught me this move. And I caught him with one, uh, and I put him on his back and held him there the whole second period. He was fighting so hard to get off. He couldn't. He was exhausted. He couldn't get away third period. Now I'm in the finals, and the guy is my third undefeated guy. He goes against He takes me down, right? And I got away, and then he takes me down again. I got away. It's four to two. And then I caught him with a, a, a side roll in the second period. Now it's four to four. Third period, all you got to do is escape. and He's the state champion, and he stands up, and he breaks my lock, and right before he escapes, I reach down, I snatch his leg, and I'm hanging on for dear life, and I don't know what to do, and I'm thinking to myself, this could be my last match ever, because my plan was to join the military and meet new and interesting people and kill them, so I... (laughs) (laughs) I did something... I, I never did before. I did a backseat play with a single leg and miracle upon miracles. He lands on his back. And I slap in a half Nelson and cradle him for three and won the state. And I'm still the only uh, California state champion in history never to win a tournament prior to the state qualifiers. And if you look at my brother's career, my brother... When he was in high school, he went to the, when he started out his senior year in high school. He went to the Great Plains, and he won, and he beat not uh, Joe Tice, who was the World Cup champion, and Chuck Yagla, who was a two-time NCAA champion and the outstanding wrestler. And these guys are great guys. I really love these guys, and that qualified and that qualified him for the Tbilisi tournament, which used to be the toughest tournament in the world. It was because there's 10 Russians in every weight class that could all win the world championships. And so he goes over there. The Newt Koppel, the president of the AAU, which was the national governing body by then, didn't want to take Dave because he thought his win in the Great Plains was a fluke. You know, he's just a high school kid. And But all the guys on the team got together and went to, told me, you have to bring him. He qualified. And so he reluctantly brought him. And Dave ended up doing better than anybody else in the entire U.S. team. He took a silver medal at Tbilisi. And he, but because he was over at Tbilisi, he missed all the state qualifiers in California, which has a thousand schools, by the way. And the coaches in California knew how great Dave was. So they all got together. They, my coach petitioned Dave to get into the state tournament. And it was, they let him in, but they said, you have to go up a weight because you didn't weigh in. So he went up to 168 or 170. He won the center coast section and pinned his way through state until the finals. He beat the guy 12 to 1. And then he goes to the National Open Greco Roman Championships and he wins that at 149 and a half pounds. 
and he gets the Guerrarian Award for the most falls in the least amount of time. And this is while he, he did all this while he was a senior in high school. Now, you, you couldn't find two more opposite California State champions if mm -hmm. you tried and were brothers. It's like a Ripley's Believe It or Not story or something. It's weird. Were you guys getting together and wrestling during that time at all? No. That's another misconception people have. A lot of people think Dave helped me when I started wrestling to get good. I never wrestled Dave one time from the time I started to the time I won the state. I never wrestled with him one time. But then after I win the state, he's off at Oklahoma State, and he's 35-1 and one his freshman year, and he took third in the NCAA. And then he comes back from Oklahoma State to Palo Alto to hang out with me for the summer. And he'd go, hey, you want to go work out? And I'd be like, nah, I don't feel like it. And he'd go, you pussy. And I'm like, a real high-pitched, effeminate-sounding voice. You pussy. And I'd piss me off. He'd get under my skin, you know. And so I'd go, okay, you're going to die today. So we would go work out. And he would just pick the crap out of me, like 30 to nothing. And now we're the same size. I'm built better than he is. and. I mean, he looks like a chemistry professor. I mean, I look like a wrestler, but <laughs> anyway, I, I, I couldn't figure it out, and I was like, "How is he so much better than me?" And this went on every day. You know, you want to go work out? No, you pussy. And okay, let's go. And so, <laughs> go. and he just killed me. And after three months, all summer, not scoring one point. I thought to myself, you maybe I'm thinking about this all wrong. So instead of me trying to score on him, I'm just going to try to keep him from scoring on me. So every time he tried something, I'd back up, I'd break his lock, I'd stall. I just became this incredible staller. And boy, that pissed him off. But through him, it was my life. He's crushing my confidence. I'm sure. But anyway, I. Uh, it worked. Instead of getting killed like 30 to nothing, I could keep it down to like 2 to nothing or something. And that really helped my confidence a lot because Dave's the best in the world. And if I can keep him from scoring on me, I can keep anybody from scoring on me. And uh, I, there's a Star Trek episode where Data is on the Star Trek Enterprise and some guy comes on to the Enterprise, he's a war games expert, and he's beating Data in all these war games and data's got this incredible positronic brain and he's thinking something's wrong with his brain because he keeps losing to this guy and finally he changes his mind he goes i'm just gonna try and keep this guy from i'm not even gonna try to win i'm just gonna try and keep it zero zero and as long as he didn't try to win he could keep it zero zero the whole time and i was thinking to myself I figured that out 10 years before I saw that episode. They stole my idea. <laughs> I can't believe Mark Schultz watches the Star Trek. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, there's, you know, I could go on and on. But I'll let you guys talk. Or oh, I, I love, I love listening to your stories, man. Like, uh, I, I read the stories. I have, uh, I sent Ray some pictures earlier. I have a, like a clipbook of stuff I uh, wrestling and bodybuilding stuff. I used to clip out of a, like Sports Illustrated, and uh, I showed him an article about you 
and the Olympics where you broke the guy's arm with the Kimura. And then they uh they they uh they let you win the match and then disqualified you like after the protest time and like all that like I remember all of that man like uh, I was reading about it in like Sports Illustrated while while you were doing it and you were living that life so like hearing you tell yeah. these stories uh like to me like face to face is it's just uh really cool to hear uh, I'd like yeah, to that, uh, that was a double wrist lock back then yeah. the Brazilians <laughs> came and renamed that. <laughs> 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 so you, anyway, you and, uh, that was a 30 second match against that. that guy was ranked number one in the world yeah, yeah. and then you you're know, like i would apologize but he was he was a sissy he would have just called me a sissy <laughs> something like yeah. that whatever he said that's so funny <laughs> you know the way they uh the way they bracket the olympic tournament is they you you get on the scale buck naked and you reach into this bucket and you pull out an egg and then you open it up and inside the number and all the even number guys go on one side of the bracket and all the odd number guys go on the other. So I get on there and I pull out the number six. Well, the number one ranked guy in the world. And he was the number one ranked guy. Uh, he beat all the Russians that boycotted the Olympics. And he gets on there and he pulls out the number eight. Well, that means two's going to wrestle four first match and six is going to wrestle eight. So I had a gold medal match, my very first match. This is only my second international tournament. I'm scared to death. I go back to my hotel room and I just sit on my bed staring at the wall for two hours, just sitting, sweating, waiting for this match, you know. And then the match comes around and he does this limp arm to a high cross. And I had seen this Cuban do this move to some guy from Paraguay or Uruguay or those Guay countries. And he got him in this. And I thought, there's no way to get out of it. So when he got me in that, I just thought, you know what? It's him or me. And I, it's going to be me. And so I just threw it. And I expected him to go head over heels and give me two points. But he hit his head, stopping his rotation. And his elbow just snapped immediately, and then he fell on his back, and I had to fall on top of him. And I'm looking at the ref, like, hurry up and call the pin. And then he, he called the pin, and and then I'm sitting in the stands eight hours later, and they said, Mark Schultz has just been disqualified for excessive brutality or something. And my mom's sitting right next to me, and she thinks I've been thrown out of the tournament. She freaks out. Um, I already had thought, I go, don't worry about it, Mom. I'm just thrown out of the match, not the tournament. You know, so I can still win the gold if I win everything. So I had already had uh, figured that out, you know, before they said that. But, yeah, uh, anyway, uh, that was, I'm skipping way ahead. I should I should have stayed back in my high school or college. <laughs> <laughs> it was a <laughs> You, you, I had to, I had to, I had to talk about how the Brazilians changed Kimura as uh, a double wrist. Yeah, yeah, double wrist locks Kimura. Are you more of a catch wrestling guy, or do you uh, do you like uh, accept the Brazilian terminology? I, I, I'm, I think I'm a combination of both. I use both terminology. I don't care what the name is. You want to call it Kimura? It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I just don't want you to beat me up, dog. Like, <laughs> you're still Mark hey, Schultz, hey, man. Hey, hey, Mark, what you what you think about guys pulling guard? 
Um, I well, it depends on the on the environment. If you're in a, in a padded room, well, it's a pretty good move, you know, if you know what you're doing. But on the street or on the concrete, your head's like two inches from the concrete. And the guy on top could just smash your head into the concrete. Not that great on concrete. You've watched that evolution of jujitsu from the very beginning. Like you, you were like there right from the very beginning. Like you, you trained with this, right? Yeah, I was one of the first. I was so lucky. I really, I, God, I'm, I'm, a, I'm like the luckiest person on earth. I got my brother's Dave Schultz. Hickson Gracie comes to America and wrestles me. We have this grappling match in the BYU wrestling room, and so like I'm the first. You know, high-level wrestler to learn what jujitsu is. I never even thought anything like this existed before. You know, and he got me in this triangle, and I was like, "Wow, that is the coolest move ever!" And we went again. And he got me in a rear naked. I'm like, "I gotta learn this." And it just so happened, it was another coincidence. His student Pedro Sauer was living right there in Provo, Utah, of place. You talk about a weird coincidence. What's Provo? What? Pedro doing in the middle of the heart of Mormonism. I mean, it's ridiculous. It, but it was, uh, well, I was a Mormon. I converted to the church back then. I left the church about six months ago. No, about a year ago when I learned it was all BS. All you guys out there, the Mormon church is all lies. I'm telling, the whole world needs to know. I'm not kidding. It's, it's, a, it's a cult. It really is. Yeah, I mean, uh, you can use words, you know, that's just a term, you know, using the word cult or church or you know, tax-free corporation. Use whatever terms you want. But <laughs> the fact is, they, 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 you, they are defined as a cult. There's a bite model. It's called the bite model. It, it defines cults. It's, if, a, if a church exerts undue influence on your behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions, that's a cult. And they absolutely do. And they lie to do it, which is evil, in my opinion. But the Mormon, now I'm just saying, I'm, just, I'm not talking about the rank-and-file Mormon people. The rank-and-file Mormon people are the best people I've ever met. My wrestlers at BYU were the most moral, intelligent, hardworking, family-oriented guys I've ever met in my life. And they they were so intelligent they won the national academic championship three times while i was there and they took second three times every time they took first stanford took second every time they took second stanford took first so these guys were really smart and tough and 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 moral guys they're really great people but the leaders are lying scumbags <laughs> We had uh, Sean Doherty on. He uh, he was a fighter in UFC too, and uh, he said pretty much the same thing that you just said, almost exactly word for word. So uh, uh, I'm not really a Mormon, so I, I don't take any offense to it. And uh, if we have any fans that are Mormon, I'm sorry, but like we got some high level guys that say might not be all that great. So uh, maybe we should <laughs> stay away from that from the church and just be a good person. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I I need to say you know. 
I had a great experience at BYU. It was a very positive experience. And it was because of the great people that I met back there. And I actually thought about moving back to Utah because it was such a good experience. Because the people really are good. I mean, if you get into a religious debate with them, they can be kind of annoying. But uh, aside from that, if you keep religion out of it, they're great. That's awesome, man. You and your brother are known for coming up with innovative uh, techniques in wrestling. Is that some of the stuff they took from jujitsu? Is that just the way that you guys were? Like, like they make moves illegal because of your brother. Like, uh, is that something that you guys worked on together? Like, where did that all come from? Why are you guys so innovative? And is that one of the reasons why you got into jujitsu itself? Well, um, I kind of followed Dave's path in a way. I mean, I made my own path when I started wrestling. He didn't help me, but then. I heard stories about how he got good and it was because he kept notes and he was a great technician. And so, and it's true. Dave really did change the whole paradigm of wrestling from a sport that was mainly pure conditioning to a much more technical sport. And, and that was really uh, the beginning of the, the technical era is when Dave started because Dave, Okay, he looks just like a regular normal guy walking the street, you know, but he can beat these super, you know, national world champs. And everyone's like, how is he doing it? And they think, well, it must be the technique. And it is the technique. And it's funny because when I see him coaching guys, I see him spend like hours coaching these guys, showing them every little detail and stuff. And he never showed me anything. And <laughs> But that was okay because I was a gymnast and gymnasts have to visualize very complicated, risky techniques because if you miss the high bar by a millimeter, you can break your neck. Gymnasts have the highest broken neck per capita of any NCAA sport. But you really have to visualize things very carefully before you attempt them. But, you know, these are, I mean, I was doing two and a half twisting, one and a half back off three meter board. That's a lot different than looking at somebody doing a switch or a stand-up or a rear naked and then copying it. It's so simple compared to gymnastics. I'm not saying the sport's not – It's not. I, I say wrestling is a simple sport, but it's not easy. It's the hardest sport, but it's also simple because it's just conditioning and technique. Well, the conditioning is 90% of it, and the mm -hmm. technique – I mean, if you – push somebody to exhaust helplessness through fatigue, you can do almost anything you want to them and they'll go down. But, you know, it, it, it's not that way in gymnastics or technique. 90% of the sport is gymnastics is technique. Anyway. That sounds um, like my cardio. What's that? I said that sounds like my cardio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 20 Ray, seconds Ray Burr King instead of running. 20 seconds and you can do whatever you want to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, man. We're all human, man. <laughs> what do you think about these high school kids beating the NCAA champs now? There's been a lot of, like, high school kids that have been doing really well at, at, uh, against the uh, NCAA champs. Do you think that's going to be a new thing that 
these kids are super technical now. What what's going on with that? Like I've been seeing this a lot, and then you're like, I don't know who else to ask besides for a, a goddamn Olympic champion. I figure uh, he might be the guy to ask. You know, we're in the the YouTube age. You know, we're you can watch all kinds of techniques you want now and learn them. Real, you know, just learn anything you want on YouTube. But when I was competing. You know, you had to, like, ask somebody how to do it, and you had to, like, memorize how to do it, and you had to write it down so you wouldn't forget it. And so it's a, it's a different kind of game. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely contributed to the technical difficulty of wrestling. And, and you know, Dave really contributed to that quite a bit, I think. I, you know, Dave was kind of, well... He wasn't really the first high school kid that dominated Jimmy Carr. You could debate whether Dave or Jimmy Carr had the best high school senior season in history. Jimmy Carr made the Olympic team at 16. and But he was a smaller guy. You know, there's not as many competitors at smaller weights. And but Dave was a middleweight. He was probably the most popular weight, 149 and a half pounds like the average American weight. So he, it was different at, at that weight. But I I don't I who was that kid that that beat that uh was it the rank number he was ranked number one he was a high school kid. He was yeah. real recently. Yeah I don't remember his name. I was just watching it too. I just watched it uh like last week. Last week and uh I, I don't remember his name but I remember the match and it's like a second one I've seen like that. So it's, it's happening quite a bit. Yeah, a lot of stuff is happening quite a bit that we've never seen before. Like the number of four-time NCAA champions, that was unheard of in my era. I mean, nobody had ever done it. And now we've got all kinds of people doing it. And a lot of that is contributed by Title IX. You know what Title IX is? Yeah, it got rid of uh, – women had to be included, so a lot of wrestling programs got cut because – if you know a uh, school's gonna cut a program, so the equal men's and women's program that cuts something that doesn't bring in a lot of revenue, which is gonna be wrestling, because you know wrestling doesn't really generate a lot of money because people come and watch men pin each other. It's not really that exciting. I think it's one of the most exciting sports in the world, but it's hard to bring in a fan base unless you're in Iowa or like somewhere that's really wrestling heavy. Not only that, but there's no corresponding female sport for wrestling. I mean, you could say there is sort of now, but it's so small. The group of women that wrestle is so small, it's almost insignificant. And, you know, the wrestling world's been trying to incorporate women's wrestling as a way to protect them from title mind, but women just don't have the interest that men do. You, do you think it could be the weight, too? It's like a woman that weighs like 260 pounds. Um I, oh, what's sorry. the question? Uh, Ray's making we, fun of fat girls. That, that was <laughs> a good one. <laughs> Ray's like, do you think yeah. that, the, the, the heavyweight girls don't want to be the heavyweight girl? That's what he's trying to say. Like, they don't want to get all out there in a singlet and be all heavyweight. Um, we have uh, uh, some of the McBride girls uh, used to train with me. I'm uh, Mustafa McBride. Now they're over at Life University and they're. Uh, they're ranked number one. All three of the McBride girls are doing oh, an yeah. awesome job at University. So huge shout out okay. to them. They're doing an awesome job. The brother uh, Mohammed, he was on the Olympic ladder for freestyle. So uh, 
good, you know, like good solid uh, uh, kids. He made the U23 team, and then he was trying to get on the ladder, wouldn't take the vaccine, so then uh, he just went to uh, went to coach instead. <laughs> yeah, I'm an expert on Title IX because I had to deal with that issue before BYU dropped wrestling when I was the head coach there. So I was learning everything I could about it to try to argue why we need to keep wrestling. And I don't, the problem is nobody except wrestlers know how valuable a sport it is for building character and confidence. I mean, there's no sport better than, than wrestling. You know, and teach individual responsibility and hard work pays off all the things that we want our kids to be wrestling teaches those lessons better than anything you know and jiu-jitsu is the same way and it's it's you know the fact that we're cutting all these sports we're destroying our youth you know and and the reason is people don't even take this into account but the reason we're cutting wrestling is because football is the goose that lays the golden egg. They pay for all the sports in every college athletic department. It's usually, and they're getting 80 full rides. Well, that's 80 full scholarships going to men. So women complain using Title IX is the reason they're complaining, and they'll say, hey, the law says you, have, you can't discriminate against us based on our gender. So you need to give us 80 full rides. Well, schools don't have all that money. So they're like, oh, since we can't put a ton of money into women's sports, we're just going to cut all the non-revenue sports, that all the non, all the male non-revenue sports. And wrestling's always first on the chopping block because we have no corresponding female numbers to, to balance the numbers out. And we're not making any money for the school. But we're cutting the most valuable sport of all the sports we have in our intercollegiate program, high schools, the things that make kids turn boys to men. We're cutting the, the legs right out from under them. And it's really a, a travesty in this country. That this is how it's gone. But, you know, money rules the day, right? So athletic administrators are going to choose whatever – is going to enrich their athletic department the most. And that's cutting wrestling. They can put more money into football or women's sports. So they always, we're always the first to go. So like when I was competing, I think there was 470 programs. Now there's only 70. And it's wiped out. Programs like do before the sun. It's just amazing how fast they wipe this out. It's a terrible thing. I I, uh, I was uh, going through college wrestling when that was going on too. So like I, I understand like a lot of programs got cut while I was wrestling. You know, um, they're they've talked about taking Olympics out, uh, taking wrestling on the Olympics. What do you what do you feel about yeah. that? That's so ridiculous. I mean, wrestling was one of the original Olympic sports. They're going to take out one of the original sports. Uh, when they when they announced that the whole wrestling community just went crazy and they started petitioning everybody and then they finally reversed their decision but yeah it's that's an insane i mean they've got curling 
in the Olympics, for God's sake. You're going to take <laughs> wrestling out and keep curling? <laughs> flag football. <laughs> There's flag football in the Olympics? Yeah, that was going to be flag football in the Olympics and uh, the next Olympic Games. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Sports. Yeah. Well, that's news to me. Yeah, they're gonna try and get some uh like some of the high level college guys. I'm like, they're not gonna get those guys, they're not gonna give up NFL money to uh like go play the Olympics. They don't, they don't understand yeah, that. Football. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I'm all for women's sports. I'm all for equality in women's sports. I have two daughters. So yeah, I want women to have equal opportunity, but not at the expense of my son. Just, right. You know. Hey Mark, fight over money is what it is. Hey Mark, it's a rumor that you got uh, the most titles, wrestling titles. So you're in the Guinness Book of Records for that, for the most wrestling titles. Well, in 1991, me, Lee Kemp, and John Smith uh, had we all had three world or Olympic titles, and we were included in the 1991 Guinness Book of World Records. I didn't even know that. I was in some Goodwill store just browsing around. And I I picked it up. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm in here. It's only $2. So I bought it. I've got it behind me. It's sitting right back there. I can show it to you. I don't have the most world titles anymore, of course. But in 1991, I did. I was actually the first guy to win the Olympics in two world titles. Lee Kemp was the first one to win three world titles. He was denied the chance to go to the Olympics in 1980. And I guarantee you, he would have won the gold medal in 1980. He was the most dominant wrestler on the planet in 1980. Well, him and Gene Mills, maybe Chris Campbell. Well, I don't want to leave anybody out. But, uh, yeah, Lee Kemp got screwed. But he's he's the real in my mind he's the real Olympic champion of the 1980 Olympics. So uh, let's get back into like what you do with coaching. Do you have a school? Or you just do seminars. Uh, I know you want us to yeah. plug some of your seminars. So kind of asking, do you have a school to go to too? Do you coach wrestling anywhere? What uh what's going on with you coaching wise? Yeah, there's a local high school, South Medford High School, that I coach. There's a little kids club there that I coach sometimes, and I go to their tournaments and stuff. But, uh, yeah, if people want to get a hold of me and set up a seminar, whether it's wrestling or jiu-jitsu or the combination of both, uh, they can get a hold of me at MS Grappling on Facebook, Mark P. Schultz on Instagram, uh, Mark Schultz on Twitter. That's my name with a Y. My nickname in high school is Schultz. And so they can get me, they can get a hold of me that way if that's what they want to do. We'll, uh, we'll tag it when we post this. Uh, so right now it's, it's uh, live. So the live, we can't tag stuff in it. But when I re put okay. it on YouTube, I will uh, I'll put we'll tag all that in there so people can uh, you can just click down and scroll into the description. Uh, not right now, but uh, when you watch if you're watching this later, uh, you can scroll through the description and we'll put it in there and then you just click on it and it'll take you right to himself. Uh, I I uh, I own a gym. I have there's a lot of people around me in the area that own a gym, so uh, maybe we uh, we can get you up here. That'd be awesome. Oh, that'd, be cool. that'd be cool. That'd be cool. How long is this podcast, by the way? However long you want. When you gotta go, you say, and then you're gone. You're Mark freaking okay, okay. Whatever you want. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, okay. 
That'd be cool if you go, go on here. I don't know if you want to say that to me because I can go forever. <laughs> <laughs> so far, we have Mark Coleman on, and we did six and a half hours. That's our longest one. You're so kidding? In one no. show? The one show, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. We had Dan the Beast. What time is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's 1046 oh. our time. Uh, Mark was a little bit inebriated when we started the podcast, so like the first <laughs> the first couple of hours we had to let him like uh, you know chill out a little bit, and then we got a pretty good last hour and a half. I we we uh, we used to not do it live, so um, we make more money when we do it live. But when we didn't do it live, we uh, we we just talked with the guests for a really long time, and we recorded the whole thing. And uh, like some of the stuff he was saying, we couldn't air because he's you know a little bit. Uh, a little bit intoxicated. You know how wrestlers are when we get a little intoxicated. We're saying things we shouldn't say. And Mark's then, uh, a good friend of mine. Yeah, dude. Really, I, really like we love Mark Coleman, too. Like, um, Tom er okay, man, Tom Erickson we had on here? Yeah, we had Tom Erickson yeah. on, too. Uh, yeah, we had some uh, We had some uh, good guys. <clears throat> yeah, Tom yeah, Erickson. Mark, he sold his uh, championship, UFC championship belt uh, to some collector. And so that's what I've been doing too. I've been selling my memorabilia collectibles on eBay and Facebook Marketplace. Just make a little extra money. I've got six. I've got equipment from six World and Olympic teams I made in a row, and and uh, I might even sell my Olympic gold medal, but I'd have to get a lot of money. I don't know how much. That's a strange question. You know, how much money would I sell my Olympic gold medal? The price and gold went up about a half a million. It'd be worth but, it. Uh, anybody want to buy it for a half million? I'll, <laughs> I'll consider it. Yeah. All right. So you guys heard it here first. If you have a half million dollars, contact Mark <laughs> Schultz, and you can have an official Olympic gold medal, not even a fake yeah. one. He'll give you the real thing yeah. for a half a million bucks. No, I'm collectibles on on eBay right now. Yeah. Uh, how do you how do you get rid of your collectibles? Do you have like a your site or just on eBay? How do I what? Oh yeah, eBay and uh, Facebook Marketplace. And also, I stay in I I make friends with the the collectors, and I I just try to keep in touch with them, and just you know tell them what I got, send them pictures of everything I got, you know, like. Uh, I sold one guy that my uni the ceremonial uniform you have. Uh, I sold it for forty five hundred dollars, and I have a jacket that uh, I sold for about five thousand or something. And I have a bunch of stuff. I got this one jacket that I wore when I met President Reagan. I have a picture of me wearing that jacket. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't plan this or anything, but that's. My, uh, oh, yeah. this is a good story. Uh, when I was here, uh, when I was at Oklahoma, there was a guy named Bobby D. Prospero on our team at 118 pounds, and his dad just happened to be the head of the Secret Service. So every time you see the president, you saw his dad standing right next to him. So after the Olympics, President Reagan comes to the Hollywood Hilton. And all the medalists are lined up to meet the president. And me and Dave are standing in the back of the line, maybe three quarters of the way back. And Mr. DeProspero sees us and he yells, hey, Mark, Dave, come on up here. 
And so we went in front of everybody, went through the velvet ropes, and I think I was the first guy to actually meet the president. And then we took pictures, and I went down. I said I'd vote for him. <laughs> I didn't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to give Nancy a kiss uh, on her cheek, and she turned and kissed me right on the lips. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> no tongue. Oh, man. Secret Service is going to be up on you. You better be careful. <laughs> no, I liked him. He's a cool guy. I met President Trump last year at the NCAAs. And I was so I was so freaked out when I met him because I was I was I was like thinking, okay, Trump, if you make me vice president, you need somebody to certify the vote, I'll guarantee you I'll do I won't do it if it doesn't if it's not fair. Like Pence didn't, you know, but but I don't think he's gonna make me vice president. Yeah. He should, but I don't think he's gonna do it. That'd be good to have an Olympic uh, Olympic medalist as a vice president. Like, man, when, yeah, what if he goes, do? If, if he goes to jail, you'll be in charge of everything. It'd, like, it'd work out really good. Can you imagine <laughs> that? When he's in, if he's in jail and president at the same time, that'd be like, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> I could turn him in and become president. <laughs> 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 I'm all motivated. <laughs> I would vote oh. for that thing. I probably, if you're on the ticket, I'll vote whoever, whatever, whatever uh, platform party you're with. I'm voting for Mark. You know Schultz. Jim Jordan. Well, I'm you sorry, know Jim Jordan. He's the, he's like the. I think he might be the next speaker of the house. Mm -hmm. He's he's a two-time NCAA champion at Wisconsin. He beat John Smith in the finals when in, to win two NCAA yeah. titles. Well, my brother coached him, and now he's I you know he's running the. Was it the weaponization of the federal government hearings? You know that he's running that whole thing. Yeah, he's really gotten high up there. Man. He's from Ohio, a third district, I think. Wrestlers do everything. That's like it teaches you such discipline. And you know, President Trump was a wrestler. No, I didn't know that. Oh wow! Yeah, I got a picture of him with a wrestling singlet on at the military academy. Matter of fact, I was going to ask him. This is what I'm so screwed. I was so excited to meet him. I forgot everything I was going to say, and I didn't say a word. But I was going to ask him if he would allow me to submit his name to the National Wrestling Hall of Fame to be inducted as an outstanding American, which is a category reserved for people that are outstanding Americans, but are also known as wrestlers they don't have to be any good at wrestling but they're known as wrestlers and i forgot that as well as you know telling him i'd be vice president i forgot everything so i didn't get anything done but except i got my picture with it that's about it i do got think i looked at my love. picture <laughs> what what well right i gotta look up I, the trump picture he's looking he's oh, looking yeah, for the, yeah. trump, the trump wrestling picture right now yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, Military Academy. Google the... I don't know what Military Academy name. Uh, yeah. If you look at that, uh, the team photo, everybody has the name of the Military Academy on the front of their singlet. But for some reason, his singlet doesn't. It's the same color, same design, 
but it doesn't have the name on it. I don't know. It's weird. I don't know why. Maybe had it on backwards. <laughs> That's what I was. <laughs> <laughs> you ever see the yeah. guy that puts his thing on backwards? <laughs> Every team's got that one that. kid. <laughs> um, I want to get into what well, I still got you before you got get out of here. I want to talk to to you about your your appearance in UFC. How did that come about? How did it feel to fight? And why didn't you never uh, pursue the career in fighting? Okay, well, you can see uh, a this is a really good documentary. I'm not just saying that. It was nominated for an Emmy. You can see this, the whole story that I'm about to tell on YouTube for free now. It's called Wrestling Demons, Mark Schultz's Ultimate Victory. And what it tells the whole story of uh, how I met Hicks and Gracie. I was sitting in my home one day. And I got this phone call from this guy who's a blue belt in a Gracie club in Provo, Utah. And he goes, is this Mark Schultz, the Olympic wrestling champion? I go, yeah. He goes, well, the greatest jiu-jitsu fighter in the world is in town. Do you want to fight him? <laughs> I was like, oh, what are the rules? And he's trying to intimidate me, and this really makes me mad. He goes, there are no rules. I was like, really? No rules at all. Were we going to commit a homicide? So I wasn't going to let him pump me. And I said, okay, you tell him to meet me in the BYU wrestling room a week from Thursday. Because I had to go to the NCAAs. And we'll commit a homicide, I guess. <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't think straight for a week. I've never been challenged like this. And I was thinking about it the whole time. And so finally the day comes around. I walk in the wrestling room. And there's Hicks and Gracie scooting on his butt, trying to hook the ankles of the head coach, Alan Albright. This is when I was an assistant. And as soon as I walk in the room, Hickson stands up, comes over to me, and he goes, are you the guy? I go, yeah, I'm the guy. Are you the guy? He goes, yeah, I'm the guy. So he goes, what I do is I punch, kick, elbow, knee, all this. But today we're just going to do submission grappling until one of us taps out. And I was like, thank God there's not going to be a homicide. So we went out into the center of the room, and I took him down and had him in a cradle for like 20 minutes. And then my grip just gave out. 20 minutes is a hell of a long time to hold somebody in a cradle. And he threw his legs around my my upper body and it was so weird the fact that he was on his back was really strange to me and i've never you know encountered anything like this before and i lifted him up and tried to slam him down and he kind of broke his lock a little bit but then he got it back and got the triangle and i'm tapping out and i was like wow that is a cool move let's go again so we went again and we went about another 20 minutes, and I don't know any submission holds because the rules in wrestling for, forbid those holds. Matter of fact, if you open up a wrestling rule book, it's like a jujitsu construction. If you look at all the all the moves that are against the rules, it's like a jujitsu instruction manual. <laughs> so I'm looking. I I'm making stuff up on the fly now. I I know the double wrist lock. Because I broke the Turk's arm with it. 
<laughs> and I know how to keep my elbows in and my chin down from judo. I did some judo in Colorado Springs. I was, I was dating this judo player. I was working out with her team. And, man, Leo White is one tough judo guy. Anyway, I knew that. And so I'm making stuff up on the fly. This is the first time I've done this. And I'm going against the best in the world. And so I can't get him in anything. So I'm thinking, I've been on top of him for 20 minutes. I can't get anything. Maybe I'll let him get on top of me. So I let him reverse me. And me being a wrestler, I brainwash myself to go belly down. So I go belly down. Like, <laughs> and so, and it's like I'm, I got my arms way out to the side like I'm trying to keep him from turning me in freestyle. And he just starts weaving in this rear naked. And pretty soon I'm tapping out again. And then after that, he said something that just, I love this guy. He said, Mark, you're the toughest guy I've ever gone against. And I just love this guy now. I want to be just like him. And I, I found out he had a student right there in Provo, Utah, of all places, Pedro Sauer. And so I go call Pedro, or I go down to Pedro's club one day, and I said, I'm here to sign up. And he signed me up. And I became a student of his for three years. And after three years, he called me one day, and he goes, Dave Benito, the National Wrestling Heavyweight Champion of Canada, is going to fight in UFC 9. He wants to come down here and train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with us. And he wants to wrestle with somebody. Would you wrestle with him? I go, yeah. So he comes down, and we wrestle for about two weeks. And the last day we wrestled, I slammed him, and he rolled on one of his metacarpals, and it snapped. Ooh. And I took him to the hospital, and the doctor said, well, you broke it, and we can put a cast on it. Or we can put a plate in, and you might be able to cover it up. Maybe put some makeup on it because it was really purple. And maybe you can still fight. So he goes, put a plate in. So they put the plate in, and we go and meet up at D Detroit, at Cobo Arena in Detroit, Michigan. And me and Pedro and Lonnie Foster – yeah, who's passed now, uh, and uh, Dave Benito. We all meet in Detroit, and we go to the press conference, and somebody ratted Dave out and says his hand was broke. So the team doctor comes over to Dave, and he goes, let me see your hand. And he had this big purple bump on his hand. And the doctor said, I'm going to recommend to the promoter that you're not be allowed to fight. So the promoter told Dave, you're out. And so as soon as he did this, Pedro turns to me and he goes, you know, Mark, I can, I know who he's going to compete against. I can beat him. I think he can too. So I go up to Bob Meyerowitz, the promoter, and I said, what do you think about me taking Dave's plate? And he said this, and I quote, Oh, that's a great idea. You're Olympic champion. It'll be even better when you lose. And I was like, why do you have to say that? <laughs> so I go, can you give me the night to think about it? And he goes, yeah. So I'm trying to sleep. And they're calling me like every two hours asking me if I made a decision yet. And I'm like, you guys got to let me sleep. I'm not going to be able to fight. You guys keep waking me up every two hours. 
So finally, 10 in the morning, they call me with this ultimatum and say, you got to tell us right now or we're getting someone else. So I called up Pedro and I said, let's go downstairs. So we went downstairs and uh, Bob Myerowitz and Art Davies were sitting there in the lounge. And they got the contract on the table. And I go, can you give me just one more minute? And I went over into this corner and I started to pray. And this is four months after my brother was murdered. And I got this strong feeling that my brother was somehow there with me or some entity was there with me telling me I had to do this. And so I got up. I told Pedro I'm going to do it. And I went over to Myrowitz and I signed the contract. And then I had an AIDS test. Uh, they bought, I didn't bring any equipment with me, and then I brought a I bought a cup. One of Pedro's rest uh, students had uh, rest wrestling shoes, and they just happened to be the same size as mine. And he goes, and so he gave the wrestling shoes to me. And the, a lot of people think that that UFC only had two rules: no eye gouging and no biting. But there was a third rule. And that was if you decided to wear shoes. No kicks. Kick, no kicks to the right? face, right? And so I decided to wear shoes and not kick because my style requires me to be able to drive. The wrestlers are always driving. So uh, Big John McCarthy comes around to us. There's this tent inside the arena, and it's got sectioned off. And so each fighter gets their own section. And I'm in there waiting for my match to come up. And I'm looking out at the arena. And this is nothing like a wrestling <laughs> tournament. This, the fans are just like bloodthirsty animals. They're just like <laughs> screaming. <for blood. laughs> there's these two guys in this cage just going bam, bam, bam. And I was like, what, what am I doing here? <laughs> so anyway, uh, John McCarthy comes over and they had spent all day in court because there was a lot of issues over whether this is excessively brutal or so, and so they the, the lawyers were arguing that this, this sport was excessively brutal so they made a compromise in order for this event to take place that there would be no closed fist punches so John McCarthy but they didn't define what a closed fist was. The lawyers don't know how to fight, so they don't know what how to define a closed fist. So John McCarthy comes over to me and he goes, uh, you, tonight there will be no closed fist fighting. And I was like, I'm going to win for sure. Because, you know, my opponent is a tremendous striker. He's a murderer when it comes to striking. And then he goes, now show me a closed fist. And I showed him, and he goes, now show me an open fist. And I showed him, like, a karate chop. And he goes, no, this is closed. This is open. And if you violate the rules, we're going to fine you $50 per violation. But as far as when we're going to collect, it'll just be whenever. <laughs> so, punch all you want, basically. 
So I was like, okay, well, I just went from high to low back to high. So <laughs> my emotions are all over the place. You know? But anyway, uh, yeah, I, I won that fight. And I'm actually good friends with my opponent, Gary Goodrich. We became really great friends. I love that guy. He's great. We heard you've been having some trouble cognitively lately. Uh, have you been in contact with him recently? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you should have seen him about two years ago. He spoke like he had a mouthful of marbles. But if you listen to him in Wrestling Demons, the documentary, he's clear as a bell. It's like he's not impaired at all. You know, the brain rewires itself. You know, that. It's just a fact. It's the way it is. It just does. And, you know, it rewired itself in him fairly quickly, I think. But, yeah, I'm glad he's better. Yeah, me and too. He was oh. great in that documentary, too. He's so great. Him, Chael Sonnen, it co-stars Chael Sonnen, Dave Benito, Pedro Sauer, and Gary Goodrich. And they're all fantastic in this episode this it's really no surprise it was nominated for an Emmy we have a fan that said I love the story about the toughest guy Chael Sonnen knew talk about the toughest guy he knew who was Mark Schultz mm -hmm. and uh yeah. I, I heard that a lot when I I've been telling people that I'm going to uh, have you on the podcast everyone's like oh man let, let them know about that so uh man like you uh, world famous, like everyone talks about you talk about all the podcasts still like everyone knows who you are and it, to me it's like unreal that you're just coaching like a little kids club somewhere you know like you know retired like college guys <laughs> coach kids club and you're um you're like the the high you reach the highest level possible in wrestling and you're like nah, i'm gonna coach kids too and uh like that's a really cool thing man well you know i was very fortunate i was born into the same family He's the greatest high school wrestler in history and world Olympic champion, Dave Schultz. I mean, he, and he was my training partner for years and years. I mean, I, I mean, it was not easy. Believe me, being Dave's brother was not easy. When I was a kid, you know, I, I started grade school early, a year early. And, and, and so I was always small and young for my grade. And Dave... You know, as an adult, he's a 163-pounder. He's about 5'8 and a half. But when he was, like, in third grade, he was, like, 163, 5'8 and a half. I mean, it's, he was a giant kid, and he would out-eat the adults. And if anybody ever picked on me, he'd go and beat the hell out of them because he's like, hey, that's my job. <laughs> so, anyway, I was very fortunate to be his brother. And I, I, you know, it's taken me a long time to really appreciate how lucky I was to be born into the same family as him. He's a, he had, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but Dave had dyslexia and he could not read. And he got all the way through high school without being able to read. He figured out a way. I don't know how he did it. But when he went to college, I, I had to teach him how to study. And he learned and he graduated with a higher GPA than me. <laughs> so he's very, very intelligent. You know, he, and when he was a, when he was a kid, they didn't know what dyslexia was. So they put him in these really remedial reading classes, like 
Ann and Sam went down the slide. You know, he hated it. He was in the room with all these kids that are really are mentally uh, retarded. Can you say retarded anymore? Is that no, a word? That's okay. You cannot hear it. <laughs> <laughs> not, I know years ago, really when I was everybody could say retarded. Yeah. But I'm, anyway, I'm, I don't want to be politically incorrect or anything. Yeah, he was in a in a in a in a room with a bunch of mentally challenged guys, and he's not. Matter of fact, he's more intelligent than the average kid. And anyway, uh, yeah, I was just and so. Anyway, I was just. And he led by example. I would watch him and copy him. You know, he was like the leader. He was like the leader of a one-man cult, and I was the only member. <laughs> Before I joined the Mormon Church, I was in the Dave Schultz cult. Oh man, you're you're a sucker for the cults. We better uh, be careful here. <laughs> I didn't jump from one cult to another. <laughs> Don't open any emails after this podcast. You'll be getting some cult offerings. <laughs> yeah, the Moonies, the Hare Krishna. Yeah, uh, some uh, some crazy jiu-jitsu people. Like I'm, uh, I'm a third degree coral belt. Even though you train with the best in the world, gotta be always careful for those scams. They're always coming around. I do want to ask you about the movie Foxcatcher, the the general release movie, not the documentary. Um, is yeah, that, I don't like that movie. Is that any? Is there any accuracy in that at all? I mean, they have you fighting like a guy that's not. Is there any accuracy in that movie? In that no, well, movie at the all? murder. The, the only accurate part of that movie is the murder. But everything that happened before and immediately after that murder is complete fiction. It's really too bad because the book is a New York Times bestseller. The story, one, is nominated for an Emmy. It's a great story. It's a great... And here the director changes it because he's so conceited or he thinks he's so great or he's so smart. And he just ruined it. You can't even follow the story. But I did like the fact that I was played by People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive because that was the only guy that could find it. You didn't even beat up poor Gary Goodrich. They didn't have you fight the right guy. Like the whole thing to check. Yeah. Why would he do that? It makes no sense. It's like, you know, I don't know what he was thinking. But I remember Mark Ruffalo saying in the elevator, you know, he was really like didn't want anybody to talk. He wanted everybody to like follow orders, like we were like slaves or something during this when they were doing the actual filming. And Mark Ruffalo, I heard him, I overheard him say, "Is this even gonna work?" He was saying that to Steve Carell, and no, it didn't work. But it was nominated for five Oscars. However. They didn't win any. Uh, the actors did a great job. They they worked really hard and they they were really good. I don't think the character that Channing played was me. Well, parts of me I guess came out in his character, but he didn't. He was so down and gloomy all the time. I'm like I'm not like that, and I just didn't understand why they didn't show me. Show an, uh, another side of me. I mean, he's a very one-dimensional character, whoever that guy is. But you know, he's taking orders from the director and giving the director what he wants. He knows what he's doing. He's an actor. He follows orders, you know. And so he gives him what he wants. But it didn't work. I mean, the 
the movie was made for $24 million. I think it lost $12 million at the box office. And I think the whole wrestling community boycotted it because it was so inaccurate. And it was so disrespectful. The director said in the Washington Times, my intention from the beginning was to demean and disrespect Mark Schultz. Now, why would he do that? What's, what's his problem? Was he jealous? Was he, why does he have to hate, hate me so much? I'm giving him my story. I'm just handing it to him and trusting him to do something, you know, inspirational maybe. I don't know. It's a great story. And he just, I, I don't know what his problem is. Do you think that uh, DuPont, I, I don't mean to like, I don't want to like push on, this no, gets like you're going to, you say, was DuPont handled pretty accurately? I know that you guys had interactions too with Steve Carell. Is that kind of how Steve he was? Steve Carell was, was not as dirty and sloppy and ugly as, as DuPont. DuPont was, was even more of a, a villain and a, and a slob and a loud mouth, know-it-all, arrogant. I don't think that side of DuPont came out very well. DuPont's a real, real, he's a criminal. You know? Just nobody knew about it until he committed the murder. But, you know, he bought his way out of all kinds of stuff. He hit a guy on the street one time, dragged the guy off the street onto the sidewalk, and then drove away. And then, you know, he got in trouble with the cops, but he owns the cops. And he got owns, he's got tons of money for lawyers. And he had them, you know, up, make, create a financial settlement so we could make it go away. And, you know, it just went away. He's getting away with, but he wasn't getting away with murder of my brother, thank God. And he died in 2010 in prison from emphysema and COPD. Chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. This is what he deserved. He deserves to, to, to drown to death. He made my brother drown on his own blood. I'm scared to drown in water. I can't even imagine what it was like for him. And he doesn't even know why he's being killed. And he's got two kids he's leaving behind. I can't imagine the horror that went through his mind when that was happening. It's unconceivable to me. And yeah, that guy was a piece, he's just an evil piece of shit. And, you know, he wanted people to believe he was something he wasn't. He was a liar. I mean, every negative characteristic in his personality, he, he embodied it. Um, but, you know, it's been, what, 30-something years, 28 years since that happened, so. You know, and I know I'm going to see David. I mean, I don't know. I'm going to, I believe in life after death. So I believe I'm going to see Dave again. I don't know exactly how. I'm studying like the Bible, trying to figure out, you know, the nature of God and things like that. But I do believe in life after death. I mean, all the, near-death experiences I've seen on YouTube. Everybody can't be lying. And not, some of them got to be true, I think. This is my opinion. But, I don't know, just think whatever you want. You know, don't listen to me. Do your own research. <laughs> <laughs> we, had, uh, we had a couple guys on. We, we, had, we 
for a little bit, we were chasing around Christianity. We chased around uh, the Muslim uh, faith. We we had a couple of religious podcasts in a row. We had Kung Lee on. He was talking Kung about Lee, yeah. Christianity. So look, we had a bunch in a row on. I just want everyone to understand like how much you dislike Dave, uh, uh, not Dave, so, uh, John Dupont. And '88, you made the Olympic team, and and you threw yes. a match to yes, I make did. sure that he didn't get Olympic champion. That's yes. Can you talk about that a little bit? They, uh, you ever read that story about Achilles? You know the warrior Achilles, and he he he's asked by King Agamemnon to go oh, yep. fight for him, and he hates Agamemnon, and he refuses to fight. And you know that's kind of the the way I looked at it. You know, I was talking to Mike Chapman, who's one of the most famous wrestling historians, and when I came out and told the truth about that i kept that inside me for like 20 something years because throwing a match is kind of a shameful dishonorable thing to do and i don't want to disrespect the the turk that i that i threw it to and it's just a coincidence that he's from turkey and i hear there's a story going around turkey that this guy got revenge for the first turk whose arm i broke but it wouldn't have mattered what country he was from i had already decided in my mind i could not i could not win this this tournament not not being on dupont's team he didn't deserve it and i mean he threatened to ruin my career and you know in a way he did but it also got me it got me out of there and i went to byu and i met Hicks and Gracie, Pedro Sauer, Dave Benatil, all those guys. I got into jujitsu. I learned that, you know, there's other worlds out there besides wrestling. Wrestling is the greatest foundation to have, but there's a there's millions of worlds in this world. There's you know, engineering, architecture, literature, all kinds of things, science. You can do anything you want. And so I was I I left the wrestling world, which was really sad because I love the wrestlers, you know, in the wrestling world. They're the best people. And, you know, we go to the NCAAs every year. It's like a big reunion. And I don't want to miss any more NCAA reunions again. You know, I've missed enough of them. When I turned my back on wrestling after what happened in 88, I stayed out of it for like 27 years. and you know, I just recently came back and went to the NCAAs last year. Met President Trump. Forgot to ask him to make his vice president. And, <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm back in it, and uh, I'm I'm happy to be here. You know, they're it's the best best group of guys I've ever met. Aaron Klein wants to know what's your most brutal submission, Mark. I have a move called the Schultz front headlock. I don't show anybody. <laughs> but uh, yeah, once you get that, oh, also my heel hook. Uh, Got to be careful with that. You can cripple somebody. <laughs> I thought my heavyweight that move. He got it on me and cracked my ankle, and it still cracks to this day. Freaking guy. <laughs> 
that, that's a <laughs> that's a really rough one. Um, yeah. You want to talk a little bit about your book? Uh, I know you want to pump your book real quick too. Yeah, it's a New York Times bestseller. It's also an Amazon editor's pick, and some people have criticized that book by saying, number one, it's 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 not a true crime story. The publishers are publicizing it, they're naming it Foxcatcher to take advantage of the publicity around the movie. But it's not a true crime story. It's a, an autobiography. And I get criticized all the time, like on the comments on Amazon. Mark Schultz is all about me, me, me. Well, it's my autobiography. <laughs> but it's also and this is what I like more than anything is it's the Amazon editor's pick which means the the people at Amazon have read it liked it and are now recommending it to other people so they must think it's a good book that's the thing I don't understand I give this director this book this story and it's all right there in black and white just on a silver platter, and he just like throws it away. He uses parts of it, but then creates something completely different out of it. And why would you change something that's, you know, considered good by tons of people, and then lose twelve million dollars? This could have been a blockbuster, multi-million-dollar profitable movie, and it lost money. Boring. That is the boringest thing. I'd rather watch paint dry. It's so boring. It is kind of fascinating though to, to, to see the rest uh, the actors impersonate me and my brother. And <laughs> but other than that, I got very little entertainment value out of it. Did the did the actor have a cauliflower ear, Elise? Yeah, they gave you know makeup. <laughs> Makeup, hair, and makeup. They won an. They were nominated for an Oscar for hair and makeup. <laughs> should be a cosplayers. They should have made all the actors get punched in the ear until they got cosplayers. Yeah, I volunteered to give them authentic cosplayers, but none of them accepted my generous offer. So I put the Amazon link in the comments for everyone watching. You guys can just click on the comment. It'll take you right to uh, Mark Schultz's book. And you can purchase it right from Amazon, right? Uh, right from the link. I made sure that I did the Amazon link, and uh, that I want to just make sure that you guys uh, help help our uh, help our guy. I don't know how much you make per sale, so let's have everyone buy ten books. That'll probably help them out, or just some mark some money. That'll that'll work too. Uh, I didn't do it for the money. It's not that big a deal as far as the money goes. So it's, but I think people would like it, you know, especially if you're a wrestler and. High school or college, you know, um, there was a book that came out recently, well, about 2015 or 16, I think. It's called The Golden Age of the Golden Era of Amateur Wrestling. I have it, it's right behind me. And the 1980s, The Golden Age of Amateur Wrestling, 1980s. And in that book, I'm, they, they, they took a poll of my, my peers. The wrestlers and coaches that were active competing in the 80s and they voted me the number one best college wrestler of the 80s so i was going to make a point 
but I forgot what that point was. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just to brag, I promise. I'm not trying to brag. <laughs> you should definitely brag about it. You wrote a book, it's published, man. That's something to be proud of. Yeah. And, and you could have been vice president if you would have just opened your mouth. <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, yeah, I'm going to be on another podcast coming up here in two days. It's called the Mormon Stories Podcast, and it's uh, it's hosted by John DeLynn, who was excommunicated for doing the right thing, which is basically exposing the unethical practices of the church. And he became like one of the heroes of Mormonism. And I've been on his show before, and he's got the sh I've watched that episode like a hundred times, literally. It's so, I mean, to me, it's, I like, it's entertaining, but that's, that's the same podcast I'm going to be on in two days. It's called Mormon Stories Podcast, if you're interested. Yeah, we'll definitely check it out. And uh, how, yeah. how we get it? Any, everywhere all podcasts are, like Spotify, everywhere? You just go on Google and, and just, Google Mark Schultz podcast. You'll get probably 10 of them. I've right. done so many podcasts. I don't know why. I just keep, people keep asking me and I keep going, okay. Everybody loves you. Dude, we want I, to know you're, I, yeah. you're one of the best wrestlers that ever lived. Like, yeah. Why wouldn't people want to talk with you? Yeah, you're the, you're the best wrestler ever, American wrestler, right? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Aaron Klein said he'd love a seminar. So earlier on, we talked about how to uh, a book a seminar with uh, Mark Schultz. Uh, Aaron, I'll, I'll message you over that the stuff that we talked about earlier. And then uh, when we post this one, it will be uh, in the description. So uh, we'll have all the links from Mark Schultz. So uh, he's in North Carolina. I don't know. Where, where are you living now? You're in uh, California? Bedford, Oregon. Oh, you're in Oregon? Ah, yeah. That's, a, that's pretty right far. Right on the still, California but... border. Yeah, still pretty cool. Uh, anything yeah. else you want to plug while we got you here? I no, not I mean no, I don't think so. All right, man, we're gonna wrap it up. It's eleven thirty our time. I know it's a little bit earlier for you, but uh, we're over here on the East Coast, so we're uh, we're where are past you anyway? And we're Buffalo, in Buffalo, New York. York. Oh, Buffalo. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're all the way across the country, man. Like, uh, yeah, we, we can't get too much farther away. Yeah, not like you go to How's Maine. How's the weather? Uh, it's actually just snowing right now, but not terrible. Yeah, last week we got it worse. <laughs> yeah, we had like six feet last week. Yeah, <laughs> I know that's a, a boring subject, but <laughs> that area is kind of that area is where Mormonism started. <laughs> well, I didn't know that. I didn't I'm know that either. City. I'm originally from New York City. I know. Yeah, Palmyra, New York. Man. And then oh, they wow. went to Kirkland, Ohio, and then they went to Independence, Missouri, and they went back to Nauvoo, Illinois, and then Joseph Smith was killed by a mob, and Brigham Young took over, settled the state of Deseret, which is as big as Alaska. That means a cult is controlling one-fifth of the United States. 
but President Buchanan wasn't having it. He replaced him with a secular governor, sent the military in there. But at one time, the Mormon church controlled one-fifth of the United States. Not many people know that. I, I have heard that before, but only because we had Sean Doherty on. I didn't know that until he told us. Uh, Mormons seem like a, it's, it's not a great thing. And uh, I'm sure we'll have like 10 Mormons contact me right right after I get off this podcast. I'm sure my, my phone's been buzzing most of this podcast. So I know, uh, I know I'm probably, probably getting some heat from uh, from some people, but uh, I don't care. That, that's, what, uh, that's what you have your heroes on for. They can say whatever they want to say. They can do whatever they want to do. And uh, Mark Schultz, you uh, you fulfilled one of my childhood dreams. I never thought in my entire life I'd get the opportunity to talk with you. And um, oh, well, it's it, an honor to do your show. Well, send me the link when you when you when you're done uh, producing it. Okay, for sure. Uh, I'll send you the live I'll link put, and then I'll put it on all my social media. Yes, sir. Man, I'm, I'm gonna say that. I take a picture of that and save it forever. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, man. I I don't know, like. It's not too often you get to interview your heroes, and uh, today is like a, a really good day for me. And uh, uh, thank you for that. giving me inspiration when I wrestle between you and the Brand Brothers, the Schultz Brothers, and the Brand Brothers. Like man, that's all. That was my entire like high school and college. I just wanted to be like you guys, and um, I was never thank able you. to be as good as you guys. But I gave it my best try, man, and uh, I, I learned a lot. I, from I respect anybody that that tries to wrestle. It takes guts, putting your name and record yourself. So worth ego on the line every time so if you do it i don't care how little you do it if you just try it i got respect for you and i appreciate it man thank you so much this was mark schultz olympic hero uh, american hero and soon to be vice president of the united states (laughs) (laughs) both schultz with that (laughs) <laughs> we're out of here buffalo thank you guys for watching thank you across the country thank you Can- canadians thank you mexicans thank you everyone else that watches i don't know why we got some people in the middle east watching but thank you guys too yep. have a great night thanks to mike schultz